Hello and welcome to another episode of Casting Views, the general topic podcast that takes a topic each week and as the name suggests, cast views. This week's guest is, I've got to get this, this wording right because one, one will sound worse than the other is, is former colleague, current friend and current co-host. If I'd have said former friend, that'd be dodgy. That's what I'd say. <laughs> so former colleague, current friend and current co-host of the Just Football podcast, Dan Strange. Hi, Dan. Hello. Um, I don't think I've ever been described as a current friend before, so that's that's a new one for me. Well, it's better than being described as a former friend, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's true. Lucky you didn't let that one slip. <laughs> Just to date this episode for you that more than any, anything, this is going out in a few weeks, so we're kind of recording this in our current hot spell over here, right? So... At some point, I might switch a fan on, so I just hope it's uh, it's not too noisy. But that's that's um, I think the perils of podcasting in England is as soon as we get a bit of a a heat wave, it's like a sauna, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm quite lucky because we're obviously recording in the evening, so it's cooled down a little bit. But it has been hot in here today, and then yeah. usually, obviously, no one else can see it who's listening. But I have a real big glare come from my window, so I almost look angelic on on like my team screen. <laughs> Stuff. and you are right <laughs> so as mentioned yet yeah, so co-host of just football so it might be a familiar voice because had you on this show a couple of weeks ago a few weeks ago for anyone who and why wouldn't they who isn't listening to just football would you just want to give the sales pitch for that pod yeah yeah of course so um we started up a new podcast uh called just football we're about two months in now and i think you said yesterday it's about 10 episodes we're discussing everything really from the, the Champions League to non-league and then, then back again. So far, we have talked about things like playoffs, international leagues, non-league, deep dive into a few clubs. So this week, we did one into Aston Villa. I guess one of the advantages we're looking to discuss really in a, a non-confrontational way um, and just to keep it of an open mind. And if you want to follow us, you can find us on Just Football Pod on Twitter. And subscribe to us at all major podcasting platforms. Yeah, and I'm biased, but it is a good pod, so go check it out, even if it's just a passing interest in football. It's yeah, it's been good fun so far, hasn't it? Because we've actually learned some stuff on the way, which has been quite interesting. So you know, we've learned how the playoffs work, and you know, last week we learned about how the Belgium league works, which I find quite fascinating and didn't know exist. So yeah, it is it is good, and it's good fun for us as well. It's like we said, I think we said it, or I said it on our on the Just Football Pod is. It's making me more interested in the wider aspect of football. So I'm looking at results in leagues or looking up news that I wouldn't have even thought about a few years ago or even a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's definitely, and you know, me and you both being Tottenham fans, we can definitely be uninterested from time to time, but this has kept our interest in football going. Yeah, well, like you said, the less said about that, the better who we support. Haven't got you on here. Well, I was going to say I haven't got you on here to talk about football, but we have got a sports theme. Before we get into it, though, let's hear from some friends of the show. Join me, Tim, and my co-hosts, Slade and Joey, at the Game Club podcast, where once every two weeks we review video games not too dissimilar from a book club. Find us on all your favourite podcast providers. Right, we are back. So, as alluded to, we are going to talk sports, sporting cheats and scandals, right? Yep. I normally, and this is where I feel bad now, I normally always say guests go first, but I want to go first on this one. The, the thing is, if you hadn't told me that, I would never have known. So you should have just, you should have just said, oh. let, let me lead. And then, uh, I'll edit I'll... this out. I'll, I'll, I'll edit this out. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've got one right. Do, do you know what? I remember this happening at the time. 
but had completely forgotten about it. And I don't know what jogged my memory on this. When we talk about it, I'm surprised that it has been kind of forgotten or swept under the carpet. Now, it might be because of its age. So this was in 2008. But it is to me, it's quite shocking and why it's not still a big discussion point. So are you aware of the Bloodgate scandal in rugby? Do you know what? I recognise the name, but I don't know the background of it. Like, I know it's a thing, but I, I don't know yeah. why. Well, this is absolutely amazing, right? And um, when you when you read it, it's like, how could that ever have happened? But so basically, Bloodgate was a rugby union scandal involving English team Harlequins in the Heineken Cup quarterfinal against Irish side Leicester. So I don't really know much about rugby union or rugby league or the rules, but I've just got the facts here. And, and so no questions allowed on this. Basically, seven minutes into the second half of the quarterfinal against Leicester, Harlequins fly half Nick Evans suffered a thigh injury and was replaced by a guy called Chris Malone. Chris Malone, in turn, tore his hamstring 20 minutes later and was replaced by a winger called Tom Williams, which left Mike Brown as the best available place kicker. With eight minutes to play and a score at 6-5 to Leinster, Brown had the chance to give Harlequins the lead from the penalty spot, but he missed the kick. Williams himself then came off with a blood injury. So if you see the pictures, he's got blood pouring out of his mouth. What this meant was it allowed Evans, Nick Evans, who came off earlier on in the half, to come onto the field, even though he was already substituted. They brought him on to take the drop goal, but the late drop goal attempt went wide. So... Harlequin still lost and Leinster went on to win the game. Now, where the scandal comes in is that it was actually a fake blood capsule that the guy used to fake an injury. Yeah. So the capsules were purchased by the club physio. So if you you see it, the guy's gone down and his his mouth is just covered in blood. Sounds very WWF, doesn't it? Or WWE. Bizarre. It does. Yeah. Now... I was looking up around it to try to get some more info and I found an article in The Guardian from 2019 from a former Harlequins player at the time, a chap called Ugo Monnier. And what he's saying is um, basically the opposition physios knew straight away what was going on. The commentators knew straight away. The people who didn't know what was going on were the other players on the pitch. Now, this is an interesting thing. He said, I knew he had done it before, but I didn't know what was happening at the time. He said, that's not me trying to take myself out of any blame. I was as culpable as anyone. And ultimately, not only were we cheats, we were a laughing stock because we couldn't even do it properly. <laughs> from, <laughs> from Tom's mouth overflowing with fake blood to the wink. So I'll come on to after he gave, as he was um, coming off, he gave a wink to another player. Yeah. So even before the end of the match, which Leinster hung on to win anyway, Tom and Wendy Chapman, who was the, the club doctor... Uh, sorry, Tom, who was a player, and Wendy Chapman, who was a club doctor, were in the physio room. The Leinster physios and the tournament organiser were banging on the door because they wanted to see the alleged cut. I can only imagine what it was like being in a situation under so much pressure with chaos unfolding around you. My understanding is that Tom was pleading with Wendy to cut his lip in order to prove it was a blood injury. She refused, but Tom, in a panic, was threatening to do it himself. Eventually, Wendy, the club doctor, agreed because she feared Tom in the frantic state would do himself a longer-term damage. So in a no-win situation, she took the decision to make a surgical incision in his mouth to make it safer. In the aftermath, they, the organisers gave him a one-year ban and the club was hit with a fine. 
I know Tom had had conversations with Harlequins and that they made him an offer of compensation. It was an unconditional offer because anything else would have been blackmail. The offer was to swallow the ban and be looked after by the club financially. Tom then met up with a number of senior players, including myself. We very much left the decision up to Tom and I remember him leaving the meeting saying he was going to accept the offer and take the ban. His name was tarnished no matter what he decided to do, but at the same time, everyone knew without the facts coming out at that point, it wasn't Tom who orchestrated everything and the club was really to blame. But the next day, having already accepted the offer, he went to the organisers and came away with a reduced ban to four months after revealing everything. So basically, he spilled the beans. He said, Steph, who I think was the physio, I think, gave him the capsule on someone's orders Wendy, the club doctor, had cut his lip and he had also had private meetings with Harlequins where they offered him compensation. We were disappointed, not because he told the truth, because it seemed he wanted the best of both worlds, to take money and to also blab to everyone. That's quite... It's, um, and I'm, I'm assuming there's a rule in rugby that allows that to happen in blood injuries for another substitution to come on or fat guy to come on. That must be why it happens, right? It can't just yeah. be a normal injury. Yeah. And the whole thing must... It's quite premeditated. It's almost like they have that premeditated cheat thing on standby, isn't it? It's like having a cheat yeah. code, just using it when you need and still failing. Well, that's it. Well, like he said, this guy here said um, they'd done it before. He knew they'd done something similar before. And yeah, there's um, there's a number of articles. Yeah, if you look up Bloodgate, Rugby Bloodgate, you'll see a um, number of articles. And, and it's the fact that the, the guy, the physio went to the joke shop or the newsagent to buy joke capsules before yeah. the match. So it's, you know, it's, like I said, absolutely premeditated. And and this is actually, it's funny you say that because here, the guy who's writing the article said he spoke to the guy and he said, I spoke to Tom recently and he said part of the reason for taking the capsule was that we had a win-at-all-cost mentality. Funny thing is, he says, I disagree. He said, we weren't a team that was in cup finals every week. We didn't win anything. We weren't a giant team. Yeah. So it's did that guy let himself fall into the belief that he was doing the right thing because it was a must win, must win. So who who's in who's in the know on this? So the guy that's obviously taken the blood capsule, the physio, and then the doctor afterwards. Like I'm trying to work out how many people are in on it. Yeah, I think the the doctor probably was afterwards, but you must have thought she would have been in on it beforehand because. If you see a player get injured on the pitch, the, the thing would be we need to get the doctor on to examine, you would think. She would find out in the heat of the moment, wouldn't she, when it's actually happening. So she, yeah, she must know, right? Yeah, you'd think so. Yeah. Whether it's, the uh, other players knew, probably not. I think, I think actually he said the rest of us didn't know. But if you, if you look up a picture, I mean, you could do it now. If you look up uh, Rugby Bloodgate, and I think it's Tom Williams, you can see the blood just doesn't look real either, though. That's the thing. And that's why he was saying the opposition knew and just the amount of blood. And going on to about the punishment, he says the collateral damage was brutal. So Wendy, who was a doctor, got suspended. Steph, and like I said, I apologise. I, I think I didn't get this. I think Steph might be the physio, had just got a job with England, which was his dream job, but that was gone. And a couple of others were banned after resigning. And and this is interesting, the dynamic change when Tom came back after his ban. You had a guy who was broken. He wanted to leave the club, but no one wanted him. That's tough to take, and it took him a long while to figure out if he still wanted to play rugby again. 
Ultimately, he became part of the Harlequins rehabilitation story. He scored a try in the Premiership final in 2012 when we won the title, our third major trophy in three years after the incident. I've just looked up a picture of it while you were just saying that bit. And I've got a picture of him winking um, while the blood coming from his mouth. Just see now. Oh, sorry, just on that, I haven't got it here. I did see it, though. He said the wink wasn't a wink to say, yeah, I've done it. It was it was something else, almost to say, yeah, I want to come off or something. That was what he was saying. Yeah. Yeah, so, but, but things like that as well is, is do, do uh, and maybe they do, maybe there's a lot of people that get away with it because we obviously don't know what we don't know. But, you know, you're doing that in front of so many people. And 2008 is not that long ago. Like, it still feels like there's a lot of cameras around, like, yeah. on this stuff. But I'd be wary about doing it, wouldn't you? Like, cheating in front of, like, thousands of people. Like, it's very well doing it on a school field somewhere where there's only risk of one or two people seeing you. But to do it in front of thousands of people just blows my mind a little bit. It's just... Uh... But like you said, it is. And, and you know, I didn't say anything at the start, but you are spot on when you say it's kind of WWE-like, because it is yeah. really, isn't it? Yeah, sorry, I've got here. So when when I say so, the, the bands were for director of rugby, Dean Richards. So that was director of the rugby at the club. And he he was one who just got a job with England. The physio was Steph Brennan and obviously the, the doctor. And it's been described as rugby's biggest scandal. Now, I've got one final paragraph here. And it was, and he says, look, we still see cheating in rugby. So sometimes we have players coming off and then on again. But what we did cuts much deeper because it was premeditated, just like you said. What we did had been so co- commonplace. Now, this listen to this. We were not the only club doing it, and that is one of the worst aspects, whether it be with a capsule or a bloody towel already in the physio's bag. It was all designed to manipulate substitution. I know of another incident that season where the club in question got away with it. If there was any positive to come out of it, is that it stopped this practice. So you see, they had a bloody towel already in a bag to use. Yeah. It's shocking, isn't it? Really is. Like it's uh I just think I'm just trying to think which one was <laughs> I'm not saying I'm naturally a cheat at heart, but I try to think which one was easier to do. The bloody towel would be quite an easy one to to prepare, wouldn't it? Yeah. And you'd almost think that that well, then again, you say that would be more subtle, but then where's the blood coming from on the player? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get it out expecting the like the blood to be like wet so you could wipe it over yourself and it's not as dry and you're like, oh God, this is messed <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, when I was looking at this, I was thinking, firstly, it just feels surreal, doesn't it? I mean, it you just can't imagine in a professional sport, like I said, televised in recent years. So we're talking what, 14, 15 years ago? Yeah. How they've got the balls to do that. Yeah. And secondly, well, I, I think I'm just still amazed by that. The, the fact that when it then comes out, the fact that they said they'd done it before, and when you hear that there were other commonplace things like the town. Now, you know, we look at football, and obviously there's a lot of play acting in football. We always moan about that. But when you see it, you know they're play acting. So I just think, at what level is this probably, like they said, it's they call it rugby's biggest scandal, but what point is this almost one of sports' biggest scandals? Yeah. I was just thinking back to how you originally described the incident is that there was two substitutions for him to get beyond the field at the time, right? So there must have been a pool of players that know about it who could just... Because the chances of him being on the field were quite slim. It relied on two people getting injured, didn't it? Basically, I think the guy they wanted to take the kicks went off genuinely injured at the start. So I suppose it gave him a bit of time to recover. Maybe they patched him up. Yeah, yeah. 
and got him back on. Did you so do you see what I'm saying at the start about how I'm surprised that this isn't a bigger thing that's discussed nowadays? Yeah, agreed. Because I like like I said to you at the start, I wasn't I was fully aware of the term Bloodgate scandal in rugby, but I had no idea. You know, I could t- take a wild stab at what it is, um, what it yeah. was. I wasn't too sure of the situation and what happened and the ramifications of it. Like I said, I don't know what, what made that pop into my head. I think I, I I probably heard it being referenced on a radio. And and, I, and like I said, the fact that I completely had forgotten that it happened made me say, right, no, we need, need to bring it up. Like I said, I don't know whether you say fair play to the team for trying it and obviously getting away. Well, that's what I was going to say. The thing is, they might have got away with it, but on this time, they, they still lost the match. So not only did players get banned they go through all that disgrace they didn't even win the match with it which is probably the biggest kicker yeah and you, you do wonder how many times a team has success like you know part of the argument was loads of teams do this how many times a team has been successful doing this um and just no one's noticed then it just goes under, under the radar it's probably quite a few right if, if it's a common tactic and then it makes you look at potentially other game-changing subs for blood injuries yeah. in the years or games before yeah it's like you know um there's that story about football managers going around to pubs and saying you know back in the day saying look if you see any of our players come in give me a call and we come get them out they're sending word around joke shops and news agents saying if you see any <laughs> players like club members coming in to buy fake blood or something yeah yeah like, so like massive surges before rugby finals and uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah like i said i, I I'm just still, it, it, it astounds me. It, it just astounds me. And in the picture, do you see what I'm saying about the fact that it just doesn't look real either? Yeah, it doesn't, yeah. I didn't get much of a close-up picture, but yeah, it, it didn't look quite right. It didn't look quite natural. And, and my final thing on it is, again, just the fact that they then did cut him. I mean, that's how desperate they were. I mean, I get it. They were going to get caught, but... Yeah, I think, that... I think you go into survival mode, don't you? At that point, now he's probably panicking, going, "Right, what the hell can I do now?" And you go into like fight or flight, don't you? Yeah, and I can see why they did it because they were just trying to get away with it in the heat of a moment. But you know, if they were to sit back logically with a calm head, they probably wouldn't have done. Yeah, but... yeah. But anyway, yeah, Bloodgate. So over to you. Oh, I'm allowed to go now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, your turn. Yeah. Right. So. um on on the football theme, I was listening to actually. I heard this on the Peter Crouch podcast the other day, and they reference it for a couple of minutes. And when I heard it, I, I just couldn't believe that this had actually happened. Like I was in disbelief, and I did a bit of research, and apparently there's a film on it. This is a story about a guy called Carlos Henrique Raposo. Who I, I've definitely butchered that name, but it, it's it's fine. But he was also known as Carlos Kaiser. And he is essentially a Brazilian con artist who conned the football world for about 13 or 14 years. And the con was that he he played for multiple professional football teams, but he couldn't play football. He he just wasn't any good. Yeah, so, so what he did, and it's funny when you look at it on Wikipedia, because you look down his clubs and he managed to avoid playing a football match for about 13 years so you every club has got no appearances and every club has got no goals and he was it was a supposed striker um as well but yeah not not games and not goals um i think he kind of was in the academy system and he kind of got recognized in in training and got you know his first call up was probably genuine but then he just he, he just disappointed 
but he managed to build up a network of football friends and journalists that would help recommend him. I should probably say that this happened in 1979. So this is before the internet. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. All before right. the internet was a thing, right? Because he wouldn't be able to get away with this now because there'd be more checks and stuff like this. But he, he built up a, a network of football friends and journalists who would help recommend him or some journalists would actually leak stories to the paper about how good he was. Um, so the next club would, would sign him. When he was at clubs, he would use fake phones and talk in different languages to give the impression of receiving transfer requests over the phone and rejecting them because you know he's, he's a good player and yeah. wanted to give the impression that he was in demand. He was caught out once when he was speaking English and the physio at that club spoke fluent English, so he, he kind of got a whisper of what was going on. He even had pictures taken of him in different kits of successful clubs. Every time he went to a new club, he would either come in short of match fitness, so he would say, I need to spend a bit of time training to get to match fitness, or he would pull a hamstring in the first training session. Other things that he's done is he paid a dentist to state that he had an infection, so he couldn't play. And and his grandmother has died multiple times, so he's needed like grievance leave um, for for the same person. In 1986, he signed for a French club, and, and he's been doing this sort of seven, eight years at this time. He signed for a French club in the second division and was meant to be presented to the club in an open training session. Because he thought he was going to get caught out, he decided to do a publicity stunt where he just, every time he received the ball, he'd boot it into the crowd and like kissed his badge to say he, he loves loves his club. So he's, he's true football, yeah. he never got um, found out. Yeah. Then he went to a club called Bangu, um, which I believe was in Brazil. Yeah, it's in Brazil. That was owned by a, a guy called Casta de Andrade. Again, I've butchered that name. Um, and he was he's um, he was a gangster. And he, at the time, he was known as one of the most dangerous men in Brazil. Big deal about signing him. Paper headlines read, Bangu had, now has its king. Um, really big deal. Casta, really big fan. Um, of Kaiser because of his personality and his cheekiness and um, stuff like that. One of the things that Kaiser did is he liked hanging around footballers. He liked going out clubbing. He liked womanising. He liked the footballer's lifestyle. He just didn't like playing football. One weekend, Castor was got so annoyed that this guy was always injured. He said, right, just put him on the subs bench. Just, just put him on the bench. Um, he, he can make an appearance tomorrow. Kaiser found that out at 4am in a nightclub and the game was like in 10 hours time um, he had to be ready for. So he's on the bench in this game and to get out of playing, when he was asked to warm up, he was going down the touchline and a fan supposedly um, mocked him on the sidelines. So he jumped in the stadium and punched a fan. So he, he got sent off. So he avoided playing in that game as well. So now his record stands at naught appearances, naught goals, one red card. Like for 14 years, he, he did this, and it's just I heard Unbelievable. it. Unbelievable. Phenomenal. There's a, a there's a film about it. Apparently, I haven't seen the film, but I need to look it out. But it's just absolutely fascinating how he's he's managed to get away with it for for that long. So there's there's a couple of things there for me, right? One is how he got to get away with it for so long because yeah yeah granted it was before the internet and things like that but you know they had tv and they had sports programs so at what point did he say right well i've never really seen a highlight package of him scoring goals well apparently because he he looks like the build of a football player and apparently he looks similar i don't know if he did this to get into clubs but he looks similar to another player 
So when he was like uh, okay. trying to impress girls or such, he would he would show videos of this other player of, of them scoring goals and pretending it was him. Um, but he's just a compul like he's he's a genius, but he's also a compulsive liar, isn't he? He's just uh Do you know what? In this instance, right, whereas in my one I think, yeah, they deserve the punishment. See, in this one, I, I don't know, I'm kind of thinking fair play to you because if you could get away with that, you would, right? And in the end, well, there's the deceit bit where he's getting people to lie, right? I guess there's that. But if if you as a club aren't doing your due diligence on a player, that's your fault, right? Yeah, it is. And like, sorry, I forgot to add just one thing, which I thought was the funniest bit, and I apologize for not including this earlier. But when he punched that fan and got sent off, his contract was due to expire in the next couple of weeks. And um, he sat down with this cast of a gangster. Kaiser told him a sob story of how he lost it. So as a reward, Castor was so impressed that he gave him a pay rise and a six-month extension. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's an amazing story. Again, what what stands out is the fact that it is astonishing. So you said, what, 13 years? 13 years, no goals, no games, no goals. I think, I I don't know why this happened, but Flamengo actually signed him twice. (laughs) (laughs) learn the lesson the first time yeah i know what's your view on him um i admire him like i admire the intelligence and the audacity i obviously don't agree with it um i think it's, it's probably a fair but he's obviously a very intelligent guy do you think maybe it feels better because we both said in a sense that we admire him or fair play to him do we think it's because He's cheating his own club rather than opponents or the outcome of a game. Yeah, because he's not match fixing, right? He's not. He's not doing yeah. anything to right to to affect the integrity of the game. He's just staying in the living. It's like the football version of catch me if you can. It's yeah. That's essentially what he's doing. And you know, if clubs aren't doing their proper research on players, they're open to it, aren't they? Just yeah. The fact is, he's he's just looking after himself, and he's. He's hurting his club in a way, but he's yeah, he's not trying to cheat an opponent out of a result or an opponent. Out, you know, basically, he's not going to get an opponent sent off or win a cup because he's cheated in a match. He's he's yeah. just cheating his his employer, basically, isn't he? Yeah, and when when you read up about it, there's a lot of he's he's very good for team morale. So I think a lot of clubs put up with him right. being injured because he brought the team together. So he's okay. also like a motivational type guy, but I think I need to watch a film. It fascinates me how he's managed it for so long. And sorry, and just remind me the bit about the gangster. Did you say where did that bit come in? He was so yeah. When he went to a club called Bangu in Brazil, that was owned by a gangster called Casta de Andrade, um, mm. and at the time he was known as one of the most dangerous men in Brazil. So he's a guy you don't want to cross. Yeah, right. Um, but he did cross him because he signed for a club. He signed for a club when he couldn't play football. And then he punched a fan to, to stop himself playing, to get in on the I'm field. I'm just wondering, was that early on in his career or late on? Because I'm thinking, was there then some involvement by that gangster? No. So with, I think this is this is towards the second half of that first Right. Year. Okay. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. If you find out what that film was, let me know. Because I think that's definitely... Um... It's intriguing, right? It's there. Yeah. I love a good con. <laughs> I think... <laughs> Yeah, but that's the, the thing is, right, it's not even like there was an attempt to 
to play a few games. No games, no goals. That's it. Like I said, even back then, how do you get away with that? I still don't get it. Yeah, he even did a few other things. So um, one of the points I haven't mentioned yet is he would pay the youth team to injure him in training. So he would go <laughs> get the youth team to clatter into him, and then he would be injured um, when he was getting back to, getting back to fitness. So you know, he was he was all over it. He he had everything covered. Yeah, because I mentioned on here before the famous one, you know, George Weir's cousin, the guy who pretended yeah. to be. But the thing is, he got on and was dreadful when they pulled him off straight away. So it's yeah. not like he was, so he was trying to con, but he then got found out. But then again. That situation was a lot more recent, though, wasn't it? So that's even, I feel a bit more surprising than a 13 year. Yeah. 13 year career you know the end of the 70s like i think we're still probably 90s so yeah i mean we're getting on a bit ages aging quickly but yeah it's still more in the recent time than you would say no fascinating fascinating and sorry do you just want to give his name again his actual name is carlos Henrique raposo um but he was known as carlos kaiser i think if you ask like people in brazil he's quite infamous he's one of the most infamous footballers or non-footballers ever yeah so yeah, so so he's a big deal, especially from a country that loves football as well. Is to, to have someone like avoiding playing football. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. All right, no, good one. I have got this one. I don't think we need to say. Do you know? Because you you will have. And there is also a film about this one, but I haven't seen it. But it's the whole Tonya Harding, Nancy okay, Kerrigan. Yeah. So I guess I've got a lot here, but I, I don't think we really need to go go into it too much. As in, I think most people know what what it was, right? So it was January 6th, 1994. It was one day before the US figure skating championship ladies competition. Nancy Kerrigan was attacked in a corridor after a practice session. The aftermath of the attack was recorded on news and was broadcast around the world. Because, yeah, I mean, 94, even I remember seeing it. I didn't know much about ice skating or who they were. The assailant was one Shane Stant, and he was contracted to actually break her right knee. He turned himself in a week later, or just over a week later. Stant and his uncle, Derek Smith, were hired for this assault by Tonya Harding's ex-husband and her bodyguard, Sean Eckhart. After failing to find Carrie... So this was a couple of the interesting things. So after failing to find her in Massachusetts, Stant took a 20-hour bus trip to Detroit to get to her. Nancy Kerrigan was walking behind a curtain when he rushed her. Using both hands, he swung a 21-inch telescopic baton at a right leg striking above the knee. The attack was intended to seriously injure Kerrigan so that she could not compete in the Nationals or the Winter Olympics. Kerrigan's leg was not broken but was severely bruised, forcing her to withdraw from the championships and forego competing to retain the, the ladies' title. On January the 8th, Harding won the US title. She and Kerrigan were both then selected for the 94 team. So, yeah, so 6th of January, Nancy Kerrigan gets attacked. Two days later, Tonya Harding wins the US title. I mean, I've got some more info, which I'll come on, but what, do you remember this event and what do you remember? Or... Do, you know, do you know what? I, I don't remember this event, but I have seen that film that you mentioned, um, and it's, it's a good film and I would recommend it. I can't remember if Tonya Harding knew about it was going to happen or whether it happened outside of her knowledge. Well, this this is it. And this is where it gets interesting and also complex. So I've tried where I could just to cut it down because there's a lot. But she was, um, so on January the 11th, so five days after the attack, Harding was interviewed 
when she was asked whether she knew someone who could have planned the attack, she said, I have definitely thought about it. Um, now, whether she means I've thought about whether someone could attack or whether she would stands to be determined there. But while she was having this interview, her ex-husband was standing behind her. And when the interview ended, she said, no one controls my life but me. If there's something in there that I don't like, I'm going to change it. Harding also confirmed that she had spoken with the FBI agents in Detroit and again in Portland. And on the 13th of January, Eckhart, who was a bodyguard, and Smith, who was the guy who did its uncle, were arrested. She then on the 16th said in a statement that she, read, she denied any involvement. But then this is, like I said, this is where it starts getting a bit interesting. So on the 18th of January, Harding was with her lawyers when she submitted to questioning by the DA and the FBI. She was interviewed for over 10 hours and eight hours into the interview, her lawyer read a statement declaring her separation from her husband. And she said, I continue to believe that Jeff is innocent of any wrongdoing. I wish him nothing but the best. But then in February, the full transcript of her FBI interview came out and it said, after hours of denying any involvement in trying to cover up the plot, an FBI agent finally told her that he knew she had lied to him. He he would tell her exactly how she had lied to him. And in the transcript's final passage, Harding stated, I hope everyone understands. I'm telling on someone I really care about. I know Jeff is involved. I'm sorry. Then he, the husband or the ex-husband surrenders. She's then questioned, saying she's done nothing wrong. On the 27th of January, it was reported her ex-husband had been testifying about the attack plot and then possibly implicating Harding. And yeah, it then comes on that. Basically, I think it turns out that she then was aware of it or or, or at least she, I don't think it is that she planned it or she was involved in it, but I think she was aware of it. And I think that's that's the, the estate. So, oh, sorry, the, the extent of it. So the husband negotiated a plea bargain in exchange for testimony regarding all parties involved in the attack and in July of that year he was sentenced to two years in prison and publicly apologized to Kerrigan adding any apology comes from me rings hollow. He and the, uh, the bodyguard pleaded guilty to racketeering and the judge noted the attack could have injured Kerrigan more seriously and Eckhart died in 2007. So just some things that followed up later her penalties and Harding's penalties then became uh, she got three years of probation, a hundred thousand dollar fine, and five hundred community hours, uh, five hundred hours community service. They both then did carry on competing. But what I then did read about her, and whether you say rightly or wrongly, her life did then kind of descend into almost like a bit of a bizarre pantomime. I think she was doing some live tv um you know reality tv things i think there may even have been i could be wrong but i think like a couple of ex-partners released like sex tapes about her and i think she became like a media circus yeah and it's just it's just tough because you know okay she she was guilty of something but she then was convicted of it right yeah yeah good point Again, it's one of these situations in the planning of this attack or this, this event is how do they like look at it and think we're going to get away with this? You know, this this is going to be fine. Like they they know it's going to be investigated and they know we're investigating until they find what happened. It just astounds me. And you know, you mentioned that, that guy was on a what a bus for like ten hours or something to to get to where she was. You're like, I wonder how many times in that ten hours he's thinking to himself, "This is probably not a good idea." Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. 
Just and sorry, just to clarify, so what she pleaded guilty to was conspiracy to hinder prosecution as a class C felony offence. As she and her lawyer negotiated a plea bargain, bargain ensuring no further prosecution. So yeah, so basically that that's what that's what it was. So she was yeah guilty of cons- uh, conspiracy to hinder. Now, so that that's after the event of after the event, isn't it? As in not helping the investigation. I think that's yeah what it yeah like. yeah. There was a couple of follow-ups. So there was a special report. I'm not sure what year it came out, but Fox TV did a a report. So there was a joint interview with both Kerrigan and Harding. The two former competitors shared sincere desires for happy families and general well-wishes. Kerrigan said she hoped Harding could learn from past mistakes and find happiness. And Harding said she was grateful to express remorse to Kerrigan again. And in 2014, Nancy Kerrigan addressed the scandal saying, whatever apology Tonya has given, I accept. It's time for all of us. I've always wished Tonya well. She has her own family. I have my family. It's time to make that our focus and move on with our lives. Now, for me, what you said is spot on. It's, you know, it's her ex-husband. It's not like, he's not like he's doing a hit. He's just gone. And it's almost like that crime of passion. It's not like he's, he's done it outside of an event. It was almost sounds like it was in a training thing. How How is he not going to get caught? And as soon as an ex-husband is implicating it's going to lead straight back to her i don't know like you said at what point do you think you're not going to think it's planned by a competitor it's weird isn't it it's uh you know the two are strictly competitive something happens to competitor a you're going to naturally look at what's happening around competitor b or you know it might turn out just to be like a a crazed fan but people are still going to investigate it and my last thing on this one is whilst it's a fascinating story what i don't like about this one is everything we're covering is obviously scandal cheats there's a dishonesty to it but this was like i said apparently he was contracted to break her her leg yeah or break or was it break the leg or break the knee that's gonna potentially ruin her career right not just yeah he was contracted to break her right knee so it's not just gonna put her out of a competition that could potentially affect her for life right do you know if she came back and she you said she competed again yeah so on february the 17th 94 so what's that that was just over a month later harding and kerrigan shared the ice at a practice session in the hammer olympic amphitheater on february the 25th harding finished eighth in the olympics a bootlace broke early in her free skate routine and mid jeers from the crowd she was allowed to restart nancy kerrigan having recovered from her injury won silver behind oksana bile from ukraine so yeah, yeah. So, so literally just over a month and a half later she she'd won a silver medal so she was fine i think because i think it was lucky that it was bruising rather than a yeah. break because yeah, because she they weren't successful in breaking it, weren't they? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it was it was luck really in that sense. So yeah, I haven't seen the film, so I don't know if it's like how dramatized it is. It's Margot Robbie, right? Yes, it's Margot Robbie, and I think a lot is, and I think a lot of it is the build up to that moment. You know, her childhood because she has a pretty rough childhood and upbringing and stuff like that. But I'm probably doing a disservice. It was so long ago, I just can't I can't remember it. I kind of read and I've there, there are some articles about her and she's saying almost like that she feels like she needs or, or she deserves her forgiveness from people. But, you know, some people will say yes, some people will say no. I mean, in the end, her she served the judgment. Yeah, it's um, again, it's another fascinating story because it's just the lengths people will go to to. So I won't say to 
to win because she wasn't implicated in it, but to let's say to support their loved ones. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Agreed. Can we go on to my next one? Yep. I think it's your turn. Yeah. My turn again. Thank you. Just <laughs> so now we're going to go away into the world of running. This actually happened earlier this year. And again, it's just one of those things where I read it and I just can't. There's just things as you go through it, you're like, why did that happen? Why did, why did they do that? Um, but this is around a runner caught. <laughs> this, this pronunciation of his name is going to be wrong, but I'm going to shorten it for the story. But the runner's name is Josia Zakrisuski. Um, and again, apologies for the pronunciation of that ch- chain uh, name, but we're just going to call her Joe for, for the rest <laughs> of the story, just to make it easier. She's yes. age 47 and she represents Scotland and she represented Scotland in the marathon at the 2014 Commonwealth Games in Glasgow. Um, she's also a world record holder for the most miles run in 48 hours by a woman. And she also covered a record 255 miles at Taiwan's Taipei Ultra Marathon. However, someone broke that record shortly after. 255 miles sounds insane, doesn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. Run that, that's ridiculous in itself. Um, but this year, she competed in an event um, called the 2023 GB Ultra, which is 50 miles long. Uh, so it's about Sorry, double. Just to, I think it's important to say that this is this year. This story you're saying is this year. This, this year. This happened on Easter weekend. Wow. Um, okay. Sorry. Carry on. So um, this year she took part in the 2023 GB Ultra, which is 50 miles. And for anyone not familiar with with running, that's just under double the marathon. So it's, you know, a fair long way. I think it takes professionals about eight, eight, nine hours to run, or seven, eight hours to run it anyway. She she ran it in a recorded time of seven hours and 25 minutes. She finished in third place. She collected her bronze medal, did all the setup, and you'll find out why I'm laughing in a minute. She she collected her bronze medal. She had a photo taken, probably took home a big check with a load of money. Everyone went home. It later transpired that for two and a half miles of that race, she was actually in a car traveling 35, <laughs> 35 miles an hour. Um which is faster than Usain Bolt at, you know, sprint, 100 meter sprint speed. So she's going pretty fast in this car. Um, and what she claims happened was that at some point around the way, she felt ill because I think she traveled in from Australia the night before. Um, so she hadn't had much sleep. She felt ill. So she got in the car as a lift. She was feeling a bit better. So she thought, right, I'll get out of the car, complete the rest of the race. I won't, it won't impact. I think she, she claims that she didn't realize she, would, she came out so far in front. She didn't think it would impact anything, so she finished the race. She probably would have got a clue when someone put a medal around her head, but she she refused to she refused to mention anything about the car at this point. And that that's essentially it. But she thought she was feeling ill, and she she came out not in the leading pack. Now I read this quote from the, the paper that I read it on, and this sent you know ultra marathons into uproar about this because this is you know this this is cheating. No black and white about it. It's no grayness. It's it's cheating. And this guy called Colin Rashton, who came in 59, said, such a crazy thing to do in a race that has no prize money or qualifies you into anything. I just need another 50-odd to be disqualified to make the podium. (laughs) 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 Which which I thought was pretty funny. Um, But yeah, that's the story of Joe Asaya, um, who finished third after catching a ride for for two and a half miles of a 50-mile race. I find that fascinating because again, we've, I remember talking about one that was in Boston and I just don't know, but that, at least that was in the eighties. So 
Are they wearing now always, is it GPS? Is that how they're caught, right? Is it, or trackers, sorry, mate. So what usually happens in running is, and I don't know if it's the same for ultras. I don't know if you have more of a GPS tag, but in running, you usually have a, a, a chip in your badge number around your shoe. And after you go after certain milestones, like, you know, after you go through 5K, it registers your time that you went through it and the next gate and the next gate and the next gate. So at some point, her times wouldn't have added up um, because it would have shown her, it would have shown her like doing 5K in about, you know, five minutes. Um, Mm. So, yeah, so something wouldn't have added up, which I think is is how they found out in the end. So, you know, it's definitely something she wasn't going to get away with. Like, yeah, yeah. So it's whether you believe her story that she just kind of like didn't realize that she was so close to the front and she just got waved through and she got caught up in it and felt embarrassed to say. No, I, I don't think so because you say she, it's not like it was her first marathon or anything, right? No, she's a good runner. Like, she is, she is, a, yeah. she's a good runner. And, you know, two and a half miles of a 50, I think it's a 56, was it? 50, no, sorry, I'm reading the wrong bit. It's of a 50 mile race. It's not actually that far. She's still run 47 and a half miles while, while she's supposedly feeling ill. It's uh Yeah, and just um I just want to tell the listeners, so Dan, you're you're a bit of a marathon runner, aren't you? So Yeah, nowhere near at this pace, and I have never caught a lift. So I think it's <laughs> No, but, but no, I wasn't gonna say that. So how many have you done now? How many? I'm up to fourteen or fifteen. So so yes, yeah, so I've done a few big ones. I've been to Toronto and New York and Rome. And done London a couple of times, which you know all, all great events. So yeah, so I'm nowhere near kind of you know I'm a very average runner. So for yeah, anyone, but no, that, no, like, the, no. So I, I only bring it up once to say well done because I, I think I always um, yeah I think people who can run a marathon I think it's fantastic. So well done. I was going to say to you, so you've never been tempted now to just get in a taxi all the way around. Yeah, I, I don't too- know how you can get in a car and then rejoin it. I don't know how you could do that. Yeah, I've, I've got no idea. There's there's another, this will only take a few seconds to mention, but in the London Marathon, and anyone who runs a London Marathon knows this, is mm. that when you run over Tower Bridge and you turn right and you, you run along this road and there there's part of a course is coming back the other way. So you kind of get a 10-mile loop. So if you were to jump over a barrier, you would skip 10 <laughs> miles of the race, right? And this this happened, believe it or not, and a guy called Jason Scotland Williams in 2014 ran the second part of a London marathon three minutes faster than Mo Farah because he jumped <laughs> over this, this barrier and skipped about 10 miles of the race. You know when people get caught cheating, you just have to own up to it, don't you? Yeah, like you yeah, have yeah. To, yeah, fair cop, I've been caught. But his quote was, but he denies any allegations of cheating. I have done nothing wrong. Nobody thinks maybe that I just trained hard, he said. No one thinks that maybe I paced myself through the first half and then when the second half came, I just gave gave it a go. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> That's exactly it. And it's like, at what point do you think, if you're going to cheat, do it because you kind of want to get a good time or beat your, your personal best. But if you're beating the professionals... yeah hop over that barrier and just chill for half hour or something <laughs> i don't know yeah. but the other thing as well you know london marathon is a big event like there's so many people around i just can't believe no one would see you jump over like yeah. other other runners as an example would go what the hell are you doing like yeah. you can't do that and 
to actually even claim that medal at the end to say, and marathons are all about the achievement. Like he's not in it to win it. Marathon is about the achievement of running 26.2 miles. Why, why cheat? What's the point? I've got two things on that now, which means I'm going to forget, going to forget one of them. So I don't know which one to ask you. So let's do with the one, all right, using your experience. Say you're, you're halfway into it though. Are you aware of what's going on around you? Or are you just focusing on? I think you, you see, like, you see certain things going on. I would like to, and you know, there's obviously so many people, maybe you would miss it. Or if you're on the other side of the road, you definitely wouldn't see it. If I was running past it in close, I think I'd clock that someone had just jumped over a barrier. Right. Okay. I, I, I'd well, I'd like to think I would, but and yeah, on on the thing, yeah, it is interesting about what what you say about why he's doing it because you know again he's he's cheating, he's cheating himself. It's the it's the achievement because yeah, the whole point of doing a marathon, I would think, is to run a marathon is it also not because places in these are quite limited aren't they so is it also not fair that he's taking that spot away from someone else yeah like out of all the races i've done the london marathon is the hardest one to get into you either have to be very lucky at a ballot um or one for a charity um so you either take up a charity place or a ballot place and you know people get turned down every single year to go into this race um, so yeah, you're right. He's taken up a spot of someone who would want to run the full 26 miles. And you can't see it, those of you listening. You can't see it, but I'm nodding my head like I've even tried to apply for a marathon. Like, and no, yeah. <laughs> no, my luck. I'd apply and get in. So <laughs> I've got one other marathon cheat story, and again, this will just take a couple of seconds to to say. But there was a couple of twin brothers, and you know where this is going. Who ran, <laughs> who ran a long distance marathon <laughs> in South Africa, um, 56 miles. So, again, you know, double a marathon. And what were the names? And a guy called Sergio Mott Sanning um, finished inside the top 10 and collecting a fairly hefty financial prize and medal in the process. However, when they looked at the photos of the event and the photos of him going round, they noticed that every so often his watch would change to his other hand. And every so often, <laughs> there would be a cut on his knee. So the pair of the pair of brothers and his twin brother was called Fika. Um, were exchanging their bibs, hats, and shoes in toilet checkpoints along the race. So it wasn't that one did half and the other did the other half. They would. Oh yeah, mul- very- yeah, there multiple times, uh, you know, over the race and doing it as a as a relay thing. But actually, <laughs> only got caught because his watch was on the other hand. Because they only noticed the cut when they looked at it more closely. Because one had a cut yeah. on his knee. Um, but yeah, if they'd worn the watch in the same ad, they would have got away with it. <laughs> okay, one, brilliant planning. Let's let's say yeah. that. Right. Two, who did they decide which brother would get the name? Because you said it's a hefty financial thing. I'd want it to be my name that would be as the winner, right? So one, it can only be one. So how have they decided that? And yeah, the <laughs> argument I would have had. Three, yeah, come on. If you're going to do that, try to match up. I mean, that's, that is a rookie mistake, right, isn't it? Yeah, in fact, they're like they're changing trainers. Like, obviously, it takes time. Like in in a cubicle, like you know, I'm assuming it's like a porter cabin type loop, porter cabin, porter loop type thing. So they're making the effort to change trainers in there. Yeah, it says here they exchanged their bibs, hats, and shoes in toilet checkpoints along the race. Okay, so I can't remember what number I've got up to, but then four. Okay, you can understand, you can forgive them, maybe putting the watch on the wrong hand. But if one's got a cut on their knee, if one's got a physical visible difference. And the other one is, at what point didn't people see a 
one of the players leaving the race. I, I don't know. Or yeah, I, I think that bit. I think is fun because you have toilet checkpoints along races, and you know you always see one that's just drift off to the, the the toilet queue, and then you don't see them because you run on. So yeah. that bit I think is fairly believable. Sorry, I think this is fascinating. So there are toilet there are toilet break break points in in a marathon, is there? Yeah. Yes, it would have to be, but yeah, well, you just yeah. don't think people in like three to five hours. It's um, and and the thing is not to talk about toilets too much, but the <laughs> thing is, runners at the start of the race they hydrate themselves so much and drink so much water, so that that first start of a race can sometimes be quite eventful in the toilet queue. Oh it's, wow! <laughs> and this is just the ones who have got caught. So you think how many times then has this happened? Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly it. It's like we said earlier, isn't it? You don't know what you don't know, and how many people have got away with things in running that. You know, improved times and yes there's chip you know they call them chip times when they record at certain checkpoints i guess sending that one sorry yeah it's a bit more understandable because you go into a, a toilet and one pla- one goes in one comes out so it's fine um, but generally then say the london one because you've obviously got thousands of runners the crowd are they is it cordoned off the crowd i can't remember are they yeah the crowd is the crowd is mostly cordoned off, but we say cordoned off, it's just a tape, like anyone could get everyone could get through it. And you know, you have event stewards around the whole race, but it's just so there's so many people. So so we've learned that runners are the biggest cheats then, is that what we're saying? That's not quite <laughs> how I worded it, but uh And that's you know, casting views, thank you. No <laughs> <laughs> it's your pod, if that's how you want to headline it, then you go for it. No, I think it's yeah, you can see why people would take the chance because there are just there's so much going on. I reckon you think you could probably get away with it. It's just the the greed, isn't it, of the ones who are doing it to try to win it. Yeah, but well, you say that. I think we're cheating to win it. I understand. I get that. But you know, the guy that's just skipped ten miles just to finish a race and get a finishers medal, I don't understand that because. Yeah, basically, when you when you're a runner, you're only really racing against yourself if you're not competitive. Like if you're not world class, so so what? You know, are you really going to take that medal home and show all your family and friends when you've skipped ten miles? Like that's that seems that seems worse than trying to cheat. Then I don't know, just personal. But that's what I mean, though. Is like because each does each marathon have the professionals and the non-professionals, right? So if you're if you're getting up even into the upper rankings of the professionals, you, how, how are you going to get away with that if you're just Joe Bloggs? Exactly. There's that, there's that one story, because you're right, because professional runners usually run at the same you know, same events as the um, non-professional. There's that story about amateur runner who got right to the top and he just sprinted off in like, the first 10 seconds to show that he was, um, he was yes. winning a marathon. There's a photo video of it. It just looks so funny because he just looks so out of place. <laughs> I um I think I would want to do that. I don't yeah. want to do that. I'd retire okay. at that point. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, look. Well, well. Thank you for that. I th- I think this is you know while we can have a bit of fun with some of them. Um, I think it just goes to show that people that if there's if there's an opportunity for fame or victory, there there are going to be people that do anything to yeah. get that right. Okay, cool. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming along, bringing some great stories. Before you go, do you just want to plug Just Football again? Um, yes. So, yeah, again, podcast we've just started talking all about football. Um, it's good fun. Uh, we welcome guests on, opinions, um, chatting on social media. 
You can find us at, at Just Football Pod on Twitter and on all major podcasting platforms. So please hit subscribe. Yeah, and just to add to that, yeah, we, you know, we are really looking for any football soccer fans from around the world. You know, we're not just looking at the Premier League or, or the Spanish and French leagues. So, you know, if, if you're in New Zealand, you're listening to us and, and you support football, yeah, get on because we want to hear about football around the world. So from me, you can get hold of me at Casting Views on Twitter and castingviewspod at gmail.com. So if you want to be a guest or you've got any ideas or just to say hello, you can get hold of me there. Press subscribe on, on mine if you haven't already. Press subscribe on Just Football. And I know there's a lot of podcasts from which you could choose. So I thank you for listening to Casting Views. One, two, three, four. If I want your opinion, I will give it to you. Come on, check what we've got, because you need it. Don't make us get a spark and force feed it. Come on.